copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. The Tennessee calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 159. The killing, Tony Morelli, found on the 9th Street Bridge. It looks like a gangster killing. That is all, Harmon. human beings crave the dramatic. We all enjoy the colorful, the romantic, the stirring moments of life. In the most ordinary situations, there can be drama to enrich life experience, even in such a simple situation as driving your car. It is no misstatement to say that some gasolines are dramatic, and some are woefully undramatic. Rio Grande Craft gasoline is indeed dramatic. It is the gasoline of police car performance. It has been specified month after month for emergency use by police of such cities as Oakland, Berkeley, Fresno, Los Angeles, Phoenix, San Diego County, Orange County, Maricopa County, Arizona, and many, many other cities and counties. Can you imagine anything more stirring in everyday affairs than to drive a police car chasing criminals, or a fire engine rushing to save property, or an ambulance speeding to save a life? Yet you can have the same dramatic performance in your own car every day, everywhere you go. For independent Rio Grande dealers offer you exactly the same Rio Grande cracked gasoline that powers more police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment wherever it is sold than any other brand. Why don't you enjoy police car performance in your car? Once again, it is our pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. Tonight, you will hear the story of a man who was too weak to resist the magnetic pull of easy money. He wasn't a Dillinger, a baby-faced Nelson, or a cold-blooded killer. Yet his crime was just as brutal as any of these gangsters might perpetrate. Even worse was the fact that he broke a trust not only with himself, but with society as a whole, by using his badge of authority as a means of protection. It is hard to believe that any individual, faced constantly with proofs of the stupidity of crime, could defy every tradition and resort to a criminal act. Yet that is just what happened. What his reward for this move was will be told in tonight's story of the criminal policeman. August 1921. In the office of the Homicide Detail in Los Angeles, Detectives Hamilton and Rico idly thumb through reports in an effort to pass the hours away until the dawn shift is over. Let me get a line on that bed you're looking for. Remember the guy that was going around busting people over the head and then running? Oh, uh, we got a line on him, but I guess he got wise. He just quit appearing. Funny. Never did make much sense to me anyway. They never tell what these nuts are liable to do. Well, I'd almost be glad to have another one turn up right now. 
This dawn grind gets me down. Uh, what time do you make it? Well, it'll be getting along. Yeah, 4.30. Yeah, well. Won't be long before the boys will be coming in and then watch my smoke. Bacon and eggs and a great big help and a shut eye. I get it. Homicide, Rico. Coleman Beaumont, Stephen. I just found a body out on the Nancy Street. Why don't you call them all? This is a detective bureau. Because this guy's got three holes in him made by high-powered bullets. Truck me that you might be interested. Okay, Beaumont, sit right there. We'll be out in a minute. Huh, something? Some guy stopped the barrage of lead off the Nancy Bridge. Let's take a run out and look him over. I was afraid something would happen to spoil my breakfast. Right. Hamilton's my name. This is Detective Rico. Where's this fellow you called about? Over there in the gutter. I uh, hadn't moved him, just made sure he was dead. I couldn't be hard. Hey, you really got it. I know this guy. It's Tony Morello. What's his claim to fame? He had a record. Pull in a couple of times for the last name. Maybe we picked him up on suspicion of bootlegging. He's got friends, though, and we haven't been able to pin anything on him. Well, looks as though his friends decided to pick things up. Yeah, it's a record killing, all right. Three slugs clear to him. Whoever did it wanted to be pretty sure he didn't have any time to talk before he bumped. Any witnesses, Boma? Not that I know of. I didn't see anybody around when I spotted them. Well, you better phone for the morgue wagon. Hey, Tony has a wife and brother living over the other side of town. They say we take a run over and see them. Okay. Boma, you stick around and see what you can learn from the people around here that might have heard the shot. Come on, Rico. Looks like Mrs. Morelli is the next stop. <laughs> Well, Stephen, you look as though you had a hard night. Yeah. 
I've been up all night on a party. Pretty tough job trying to party all night and keep on your toes on the job, isn't it? Well, if you mean I'm neglecting my duty, I'm not. By the way, Stevens, uh, you seen that bootlegger Tony Morelli lately? Morelli? Sure, seen quite a bit. Matter of fact, I saw him last night. What time is that? Oh, about 9.30. Somewhere's on him. Somebody bumped him off last night. What? Say, what do you know about that? How was it done? Somebody pumped three slugs into him. One through the head, one through his heart, and a third in the abdomen. Pretty third job. Got any idea who did it? You're under suspicion, Stephen. Me? I didn't have anything to do with it. Can you prove it? Sure. As a matter of fact, I was with some people all evening. They'll tell you I was. You mind if I ask you for your gun for a minute? What? No, of course not. Yeah. Thanks. Hmm. Sounds like coal oil. You just cleaned it, didn't you, Stephen? Yeah, I did. But that's simple enough to explain. I was taking some pot shots with a bunch of tin cans out at the barbecue last night. You know, freshen up on my shooting. Well, that may be perfectly true, Stevens. We're simply checking up on everything. Tony's brother Joe says that you did it. Would you mind if we had him and Tony's wife in here to talk to you? Certainly not. Tony's brother doesn't like me, so of course he'd accuse me. But I want to get this thing cleared up. Bring him in. Uh, bring in Mrs. Morelli and Joe Morelli. This is funny. Me, an officer of the law, getting accused by a bootlegger of murder. <laughs> I thought things like that only happened in detective novels. You're wrong there, Stevens. However, we'll have it all out as soon as they arrive. That's the best way to settle it. Yes, Mr. and Mrs. Morelli right here. Oh, uh, bring them in. Right in here, please. And then Mrs. Morelli. You know Officer Stevens. Yes. I know him. Yeah, but I know him. What do you mean, my sweet Tony? You've got no right to shoot anybody. Oh, please, please, Miss Morelli. That won't help things at all. So just sit down now over here and try to be calm. I'm sure we'll get along a lot better. I'm sorry, Mr. Policeman. I'll try to keep it quiet. I'm sure you will. That's right. Any chair right here. I want to offer my sincere condolences to you, Mrs. Morelli. And I also to assure you that no matter what you think, I have nothing to do with your husband's death. Suppose you just tell us what happened last night, Stephen. Well, I picked Tony up about 9.30 and we started out for a party. We started and... We stopped and had a couple of drinks on the way, and finally Tony got to troublesome, and I told him I wouldn't take him along with me. What do you mean, troublesome? Well, he got so drunk, he didn't know what he was doing. Where'd you lead him? Over the place on Pleasant Street. We stopped for a drink with some friends of his, and I left him there. Stevens, are you any witnesses that can swear to the fact that you're with him last night at all times? I certainly have. Here, call this number and ask for Eddie Spencer. I picked her up after I dropped Tony, and we drove out to Chatsworth to a barbecue. Is anyone else with you? Yeah, Ed Sickle, a friend of mine. We were together all evening. All right, Stevens, if what you say is the truth, it shouldn't be hard to prove it. I'm going to have these people you mentioned picked up and brought in. If they confirm your story, we'll start an investigation along different lines. Until then, however, I'm afraid you'll have to be placed in custody. That's the law, you know. Oh, that's all right. I understand perfectly. Here, here's my badge and gun. I'll pick them up after you talk to the witnesses. You seem pretty sure yourself, Stevens. Why not? I have a perfect alibi. That should be sufficient. Alibi? Right, Stevens. Perfect alibi. This is. Detective Rico and Hamilton interview Stephen's witnesses and find his story substantiated in every way. They claim that they were in Casper's, where they stopped at the hotel and had some drinks with the party they knew. A check by police finds this to be true. Stevens indeed has the perfect alibi. Eight months go by. 
eight months in which Detective Rico never relaxes his vigil of checking Stephen's every move. And at last, although nothing is found wrong with Stephen's activities, the pressure is too great and he resigns from the force. Periodic checks on the ex-officer's move fail to bring to light anything of importance, and then one day Stephen disappears from the city, and the Tony Morelli killing is placed in the unsolved files under the heading Gangster Killing. Time passes. Nine years roll by. New crimes occupy the headlines. New names appear on the police roster. The Tony Morelli killing is forgotten. Nothing remains but a musty paper in the police file. Then one morning in the office, detective. King speaking. Mrs. Spencer out there to see you, Lieutenant. Did he say what he wants? Well, he wants to see you, sir. He said it's something important. All right. Send him in. Yes, sir. Spencer. Never heard that name before. Probably some guy with a petty complaint. I should have been out. Come in. Lieutenant King. That's right. Come on in. Thank you. Well, what seems to be your trouble, Mr. Spencer? That's right, isn't it, Spencer? Yeah, that's right. I don't suppose you remember the name. No, I can't say that I do. I think you will. Anyway, I believe I have information for you that will solve one of your murders. Oh, what the devil do you mean? I mean just that. If you're interested, I can tell you who killed Tony Morelli. Tony Morelli? Oh, yes, that's that gangster killing. My ex-wife was the principal witness in that case. She was half of the alibi. And now she wants to talk. I guess it's on her conscience. Anyway, she called me yesterday and told me that she had information that she couldn't hold any longer, so I came to you. Where is your ex-wife, Mr. Spencer? Well, she has a place out in Hollywood. Here's the address. Excuse me a minute. Hello, Sergeant. I want you to take a couple of men and go and pick up a Mrs. Spencer. Get out a bench warrant for her and pick her up right away. She's in an apartment house at Hollyway and Virgil. Well, that's just until she's changed her mind about telling what she knows. No people have a way of doing that. Yeah, I imagine they do. She's probably scared, anyway. It's no fun hanging under a secret like that for so long a time. Liable to drive a person badly. Here, tell you what to do, Mr. Spencer. Suppose while we're waiting for the boys to bring her in, you make out a report to me in this car here. Just a matter of routine, of course, but it's necessary. Oh, sure. Uh, don't like the idea of having my name floating around police headquarters, but if you're needed, it's okay with me. Just answer these questions? Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's see. Name? Tom Spencer. Occupation. No, at the moment. Mrs. Spencer, how does it happen that you kept this from the police all these years? Oh, you don't know what a tough man he is. He just as soon kill me as eat. I was afraid to say anything. You realize, of course, that if you'd have told the truth in the first place, you'd have laid our hands on Stephen. But now, no one knows where he is. Oh, I know it was wrong. I wanted to kill, but I was so afraid of him. Honestly, Lieutenant, he's the worst man I, I ever heard of. Uh, suppose you try and tell me in details exactly what did happen that night. And if you can remember exactly what was said, it will be a great help. Well, it was around 10 o'clock in the evening. I was expecting Stephen. And so when the doorbell rang. Hi, Addie. I got a friend with me. He's gone with us. Tony, this is Addie Spencer. Addie, meet. Tony Morelli. How do you do, Mr. Morelli? Come in, won't you? No, we haven't got time. Get your things and come on out the car. We're going out to Chatsworth and have a time. Well, come in and have a drink first. 
It'll take me a minute to get my face on. All right, if you say you got a drink, we'll come in with pleasure, huh, Tony? Well, you bet you my life, but that's a good idea, yes, sure. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, this liquor, huh? <laughs> Don't mind Tony, Eddie. He's a little drunk, but it's all right. It's all right with me. You're not too sober yourself. What do you mean, I'm not sober? You don't think the few drinks I've had tonight are going to flatten me, do you? I've never seen you when you weren't that lit, but I don't care. I don't care, sure. What do you care for anyway, huh? Stevens, he's a good fellow, sure, sure. <laughs> he's a very good fellow, even if he's a cop, yeah. All right, Tommy, keep it up to yourself. Huh? I told you I didn't want you to go around talking about mine being on the fourth. Not a good business. Here you are, boys. Wrap yourselves around these while I get a bit of powder on. I want to be a minute. Well, Tony, happy, happy. That's right, happy, happy. Come on, let's get drunk and break things. No, no breaking tonight, Tony. No? We're out for a good time. Hey, there's the trouble with you. All the time afraid that you have a little fun. You are just a lot of talk. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Tony, if you want so drunk, I'll show you how much talk I have. Well, I'm not half so drunk as you think, huh? I'm not so drunk. I don't remember a couple of things you told me that you, you wouldn't want certain people to know. Shut up. What's the matter, huh? You afraid I'm a good spirit, eh? Tony, for the last time, Tony, keep that mouth of yours shut or I'll shut it permanently. Ah, oh, what's the matter? Here, here. What are you boys want to be arguing for? Come on. Finish those drinks and let's go. Okay, okay, Addy. But remember, Tony, I'm not fooling about what I said. If you want to remain healthy, keep your mouth buttoned. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, I forget it. Come on, Eddie. We're off in a cloud of smoke. You and Tony get in the back seat, Eddie. We're picking up Ed Stickle. He's going with us. Who is he? That's some more of your business. Pardon, Eddie. All right, come on. You all step back there? Sure, we're nice and happy, eh, Eddie? Oh, come on. Sure. Everything is all right tonight. I'll you my life. How do you like the way this bus rambles? I think you're driving too fast. Remember, you've been drinking? Yes, that's right. Hey, listen, what would your policeman friends say if they caught you? <laughs> I wouldn't like that, eh? Oh, lay off, buddy, will you? That's right, Eddie. Stick up for Papa. Sure, sure. A very funny picture that would have made, huh? <laughs> Promising a young police officer arrest for a driving while drunk. <laughs> Why, <Wild> guy? <laughs> ah, what's up now? It's really pick up here, that's all. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ed. Come on, make it fast. Hold everything. You remember Ed, don't you, Eddie? Sure, I know him well. Not too well, I hope. Oh, don't be silly. Okay, open the doors and let me in. Hello, Eddie. How's things? Hello, Ed. Not bad. Ed, the guy in the back is Tony Morelli. Tony, meet Ed Stickle. Shoot, some good to meet you. Yeah. yeah. Where are we heading for? Out to Chesler. There's a barbecue out there. I thought we might take it in and get a bit blind. Might be fun. Yeah. We're not doing so badly, but I'm getting blind business right now. How many are down tonight, huh? Not so many. I'm all right. Sure, he's a plenty drunk. Yeah. Hey, he's the thing. I'm a drunk. But he's the one that takes it the drunk, you know. <laughs> He's a just a piece of flat to put on the loose. Tony, <laughs> I'm telling you to shut up, and I mean it for the last time, Terry. Hey, what's the matter with you? Can you take a little joke? This is no joke. Are you going to keep that cap up? Hey, watch yourself, Charlie. You're in the ninth street bridge, you know. 
Somewhere. I don't care where I am. I'm proud of that guy that's immigrant cracker. Oh, just the couple that can't the pages. <laughs> hey, what's up, John? <laughs> Are you going to stop laughing at me? <laughs> Look out, Eddie. Oh. That's what I do to guys that don't know when to stop. Come on, drag that dirty rat out here in the gutter. Come on, take this gun. Okay. Here. Yeah. All right, that's got it. Come on, come on. Now, listen, we're going to sit at the hotel. I know a couple of guys there, and we're going to buy them a few drinks, see? That way, I'll have a perfect alibi. Unless you decide to yap. If you know what's good for you, keep it shut. That's about all of it, Lieutenant. Yeah, and you've been going around for nine years with that knowledge? Then it doesn't do any good for us to cry about it now. Lieutenant, will you will you lock me up in jail? Uh, of course not, Mrs. Spencer. But I want you to. I'm afraid of Stevens. If he's liable to get wise that it was me that talked and, and find me, I'm afraid to go home. Uh, don't you worry, Mrs. Spencer. We'll see that you have all the protection that's needed. I'll have a couple of men with you all the time until we fix Stevens up. Send in officers Nolan, Fitzgerald, and Silkis. I want to see them right away. One is the murder, two men, Ed Stickle and Charles Stevens. The latter may be going under an alias. Description as follows. Number one, height, five feet, ten and a half. Weight approximately 140 pounds. All citizens are asked to be on the lookout for two men by the names of Eddie Stickle and Charles Stevens. Descriptions are as follows. And a few days later in the county jail, a turnkey happens to look at it in that car. Holy mackerel. The girl is caught in that sticker there that's wanted. I'll eat my hat. He's sitting right down there in tank four in a drunk charge. Won't he be happy when I tell him we found a murder rap on him? Thus, the first of the two wanted men is found and booked on suspicion of murder. Under questioning, Sickle admits his participation in the shooting and verifies Addie Spencer's story. Within five days, his case is before the court. A first-degree murder verdict inevitable. As the scales of justice swing with the testimony of witnesses, there is no doubt in the prosecution's mind as to a conviction. But out of a clear sky... The testimony of the coroner in charge explodes like a bolt of lightning. It has been proven in this court that the defendant, Edward Stickles, deliberately fired two shots into the body of one Tony Morella. The defendant admits this to be the truth, but there can be no murder charge against him. In the testimony of the witness, it has been stated that the first shot was fired by Charles Stevens, the fugitive. This shot penetrated Morelli's brain, making death certain within a space of at the most 15 seconds. And the shots fired by the defendant were at least 30 to 60 seconds later. Therefore, Tony Morelli was already dead when the second bullet hit him, and you cannot murder a corpse. Thus, in one of the most amazing reversals of testimony, Edward Sickle finds himself saved by a matter of 30 seconds. And the hunt turns once again with renewed interest to Carl Stevens, fugitive from justice. Clue after clue is run down only to prove to be a false alarm. 
Detectives follow a man answering Stephen's description halfway across the continent, only to find on close close scrutiny that he is not the one at the In Los Angeles, Lieutenant Bedford has discovered a man who knows Stephen. Together they rush to the high Sierras, where it is said that Stephen has a chance. But upon their arrival, they are told their man has eluded them by a matter of ten hours. But that he had been seen buying a ticket to Sacramento on the train. Acting on this information, Lieutenant Bud Better immediately wires Harry Hickok of the State Identification Bureau, telling him to be on the lookout for Stevens at the station. Hickok, wasting no time, gathers two of his associate officers and drives to the station, where they watch inbound trains arrive. What time do you need, Jim? 3.25 by my watch. Right on time. Hey, so you know what this bird looks like? Yeah, I got a picture of him here from the mud book. Right. I want to take an account of the missing. All the men set? All set. Keep your eyes open now. If you spot him, grab my arm and we'll nab him before he has a chance to pull anything. Right. Hey, there he is. Come on. Good boy, Jim. You take him by the left arm. I'll grab his right. Okay. Grab him. Keep on walking, Stephen. We've got you. Hey, what's the idea? You haven't got anything on me. You're coming along quietly, Stephen, or do we have to take you? I don't know what you're talking about. What's the charge? That does break us on it, Jim. Just for precaution. There you are, Mr. Stevens. Right where you belong. On the wrong side of a pair of police handcuffs. Stevens has returned at once to Los Angeles, where he is scheduled to face trial on a charge of first-degree murder. All through the preliminary days of the trial, he sits mostly listening to the testimony steadfastly denying any knowledge of the crime. But in the minds of the police, this man is no ordinary criminal. He is a fellow officer who has violated his trust. And finally, as the last rays of sun are filtering through the windows into the hushed courtroom, Paul Stevens, ex-officer and murderer, stands silently in front of Judge W.B. Tryon to receive his sentence. You thought because you wore a police uniform that you were beyond the law. You violated your oath to enforce law and order. You violated the commandment, thou shalt not kill. You sought immunity from your crimes behind the uniform you disgraced. But the law applies to every one of us, to the policeman as well as to the civilian. Because you acted beyond the law, Charles Stevens, and killed a man not in the line of duty, you are to pay the extreme penalty. I sentence you to be hanged by the neck until death. <laughs> appealed the decision in the highest court of the land, and as a result, this sentence was commuted by the governor to life imprisonment. We in the police department are faced daily by proof that crime never pays, so it is a rare exception when a member of our own organization steps outside the law, as did ex-officer Charles T. Stevens, whose story has just been told. Our relentless pursuit and capture of the man proves that even those on the inside cannot commit crime and get away with it. In an organization such as ours, numbering over 2,500, the law of averages selects some men who are too weak to resist the temptation which daily beset underpaid and unappreciated policemen. Our men, jealous of their reputation for integrity, 
are quick to out any offenders against our code. Thank you, Chief Davis. As this half hour draws to a close, may I emphasize what I told you at the beginning of this program. Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline lifts you out of the realm of the ordinary. It is the only gasoline you can buy that gives you police car performance. Thousands of motorists are finding this out and will never again be satisfied with slow-burning, sluggish, undramatic gasoline. Rio Grande Cracked has recently made greater gains than any gasoline on the Pacific coast. Thousands of motorists are learning, too, that they can't buy better motor oil than those sold by Rio Grande independent dealers. Sinclair, Pennsylvania, and Sinclair Opaline. Both de-wax, both de-jellies. Both refinery sealed and tamper-proof tanned. And here is an announcement of extraordinary importance. If you are saving police money for junior detective and G-man outfits, turn in your coins before December 31st. All these free gifts are illustrated in Calling All Cars News, that thrilling publication of movie, radio, and detective stories. Get a copy from your nearest independent Rio Grande dealer, and be sure your request for free gifts is postmarked before midnight, December 31st. Calling all cars, attention all cars, the cancellation broadcast 159. Suspect in this case is now in custody. That is all, Harmon. Frederick Lindsley, bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.